0: Hello friends, welcome to the show. My name is Tom Broback and I'm on a mission to help coaches keep their athletes happy and healthy. I love playing sports growing up. From backyard football to traveling basketball to high school track and field, there is nothing better than being on a team and playing to win a game. Unfortunately, I struggle with health issues and I know your athletes do too. This inspired me to become a physical therapist and sports performance coach. This podcast will help coaches like you learn how to keep your athletes off the bench and in the game. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work with athletes at the professional level? In today's episode, we find out. I talk with Sean Skane, current strength and conditioning coach for the Minnesota Wild. Sean explains what it's like to work in the NHL and the mindset he developed to be successful in the strength and conditioning field. If you want to learn how to develop a resilient mindset like Sean, keep listening to this episode of the Tom Brobeck Podcast. On to my chat with Sean. What got you into coaching?
1: Well, I think my love for athletics growing up was a a big factor in it. And I was your typical skinny kid. Um, I knew I wanted to get stronger. But then, you know, when I went to college at UMass Boston, I wanted to become an athletic trainer. I didn't know if I wanted to get into a positional type coaching and football or, or, or another sport, but I, I wanted to become an athletic trainer. And the reality was that I was playing in the only contact sport in college at the time. And Massachusetts um, rules or, or regulations required you to, to do a number of hours um, in a contact sport. And I was playing that sport. So it was like, started doing the math in my head I'm like I'm looking at a few more years extra years of college and then I kind of stumbled upon strength and conditioning we had um I've told this story a few times um Dr Dr Avery Fagenbaum who's a uh he's on the I think he's on the editorial board of the NSCA journal um he he stopped at UMass Boston I think for two or three years and he brought this strength and conditioning um, kind of not a major but kind of like a subheading of a major a concentration i should call it and i'm like oh wow you know what is this and then i started you know going to the library and, and reading some of the nsca journals which i didn't really know existed um until i started reading them and then i started reading about training programs or and collegiate strength and conditioning programs and i was like wow this is really neat because at the time i think i was doing the nebraska power Husker program, um, for my division three football. And, um, I saw the results of my, myself, um, getting stronger and faster and combined with the fact that I did have a shoulder injury in high school. I just thought that, you know, it, it's something I wanted to do. I love to lift, um, and then realize I could make a profession out of it. It was just still in its still in its infancy back then it was, you know, more of your division one football staffs and your NFL staffs, you know, there wasn't really much um, in terms of other sports back then, but I, I I got hooked pretty quickly.
0: That's awesome to realize at such a young age that you could combine your passion for something into a career. And I look around nowadays and it still isn't the easiest profession to get started in because you usually have to start with an internship or with a low level paying job and then just work your way up. Uh, but for you, it was just kind of this novel concept that uh, working with athletes to get them you know, f- better, faster and stronger, um, that is something that you could turn into profession. And you figure that out in college. When many people kind of go their whole life without realizing what their passion is or, or how to turn that into, into a career. So that's awesome that you're kind of at the forefront of that. Um, when you were- Yeah,
1: I was, I also must say that I was very lucky, I got to know some um, incredible mentors and friends. Um, and, and that's important too um, to to kind of to do a good job for those who um, you would like to have put a good word in for you at some point, and then do a good job and then also feel inspired by them. To, to To do what they want, what they're doing, I, I think that was key for me. It was that kind of ignition type thing for me? Um. But yeah, it was um. Like I definitely, you know, I I did it the old fashioned way, which was, you know, going in, doing an internship my senior year in college, and taking a um, part time job in the summer to get more experience, and taking another internship to get more experience and then going into grad school at the university of Minnesota, actually, um, you know, and, and, and taking, I, I look at it. Like I, I was taking the proper steps, but I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know or think I would end up in the national hockey league for, for, for 19 years. But, um, I certainly felt like I was doing the, the right things at the right time.
0: What advice do you have for younger coaches now uh you know gaining those mentors establishing those relationships how would you advise a younger coach trying to advance their career
1: Yeah I mean if you really want to do something like there's nothing nothing's going to stop you from doing that um and you have to you got to push through, you got to, you got to push through maybe the times when, you know, you you don't have any money or something, or you're living in, in in a, not the best situation. You might have friends or colleagues who are, are, who are doing better than you, whatever. You got to just push through that and and know that things are going to work out. Um, and it's tougher now because it's, there's more people who want to become strength and conditioning coaches in 2021 than there was in 1998. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta believe in yourself and you have to just, you gotta have a strong work ethic and not be afraid to put in long hours and and, and embrace every experience, whether that's positive or negative and develop your own, coaching philosophy and methodology as you
0: um progress did you have a time in your career where you didn't know if it was going to work out for you i'm very lucky in the fact that
1: I, I don't think i did i i felt like every experience i had um was for something not to say bigger, but, but more, more in line for what I was meant
0: to do. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a good way to put it, I guess. I think that every successful person has to have that inner belief that this is going to work out. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And they eventually get, and it's hard because you see someone successful like yourself working in the NHL and it's easy to look at you and say, oh yeah, of course he believed in himself. But I think you guys like you always had that belief and that's what separates, um, you know, people think they can do things and those that think they can't do things, they're both right, you know? So I think that I see that very often with successful coaches is they knew from the start that it was going to work out. They didn't know how or how long it would take, but eventually they got to where they're wanting to go um working in the nhl i have a lot of questions about that when you first started how was that experience for you what did you learn most in that kind of first couple of years and and how did that lead you to be the coach you want to be now
1: yeah i was very lucky my first season back in 2002 i came from the college hockey environment and i you know what (laughs) no one really told me like, Hey, this is the pros. You can't do that here. And I just came in, I just wrote an, a recent article about that. I I just came in and just, I just trained the professional team the same way I would train a college team. Sure. And I was very lucky that I was the first full-time strength and conditioning with coach with this organization. And I just, just kind of ran with it you know we had you know our our captain loved to train and um i just made sure that i just saw it really soon like if your captain's on board with what you're doing everyone else is going to buy in and Mm -hmm. that was that was the fun part of it but like i i I don't know i just kind of felt like i just knew how to train a team a, a hockey team I just kind of did the same things I would with with pros that I would do with college. And, and, and I still kind of do that today. Um, And I, and I think it, it's successful. I think if you have your, your players working out together after a a big win, or even after a loss, I think those are times when they're together more and and you're impactful uh, with your team. And I've just always believed that. And um, so that was my first year. And then, you know, like there wasn't, it wasn't a big industry then. There there wasn't too many people doing off-season training at private facilities. I mean, there were a few, but not, not as big as it is today.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But, you know, back then it was, you know, everything was, you know, team-based and, and, you know, we are going to do this. It's not, this guy's going to do that, or this guy's going to do that and try to make it all work together. It's no, we're all going to be. Warming up at ten o'clock, you know it's not going to be. Oh, I'm I'm doing this instead. No, it, this is what it's going to be. And it wasn't necessarily me me going to our coaches or management saying we need to do this. I I was able to kind of just get them to do what I wanted them to do, and and with the belief system of like, okay, this is what I think is benefit beneficial for our team right now, and. I've always kind of had that philosophy and, um, it's a fine line to balance a lot because a lot of times it's, I really don't want to do that today. Um, but when you get more guys that are like, Hey, let's go, we're doing
0: this. Like it makes it a lot better. Can you give a specific example of something that you implemented that your strength and condition colleagues thought wouldn't fly at the professional level? Oh, I don't know. Um,
1: Oh, it's tough because a lot of uh, a lot of people doing some really, really good things. Uh, There there could have been some things, but I can't really pinpoint anything. but, But I don't know, maybe like even back then doing like. Working out after a game, you know, like the whole team working out after a game. I'm sure a lot of a few other teams were doing it, but. Now, like the NHL, everyone's working out whenever they can and, you know, people would say like, you know, well, if they're, if they have the ability to work out after a game, that they didn't really work too hard during the game. And, and that, and that's not true. It's, it's, um, a necessity sometimes to allow us to get the, the full amount of recovery before the next game. Um, and I think that's just, a. it's just, um, it's our culture and it's our culture um it's been our culture here and also in the previous team i worked for
0: jumping into training specifics can you kind of run through a typical post game workout routine for the average iron shell player who sees ice time i think a lot of people from home they see the guys you know they get off uh, they get off the ice they go shower they do the post game interview and then that that's all they know or all they see and they have no idea what happens. Can you kind of talk through that post game routine? Yeah,
1: it's sometimes it's difficult. Um, You know, for example, we had a a young kid um, score three goals in one game, his first three NHL goals. And you know what? Guess what? He's not going to be the first guy in the gym um, because, you know, you have TV, radio, whatever. media outlets want to talk to this young man and rightfully so it's a great story so sometimes like this is on the road actually too so logistically you have to make make it work with what you have to work with i think the other night there i think we went i think we did um dumbbell incline and some straight leg deadlifts and some uh, leg curls with a stability ball and then also um a dumbbell curl and press, something like that, that got the guys in and out of there in 10, 15 minutes, because the the facilities on the road aren't as big. You don't have the same amount of equipment as you do at home. Mm -hmm. So you kind of get guys in and out as quick as possible, but something is better than nothing. And, you know, it wasn't just that individual that had a good game. Other guys had good games. So they're kind of filtering in, um, as the post game period goes on, then we have a bus time we have to make the bus, um, So you kind of make do what you have um, at home. It's a little bit different. We have our fully outfitted facility um, for whatever we want to do. And so we can get more load done at home games. Um, but we, not to say we don't train on practice days. If we don't have a game the next day, we will train on practice days, um, but it's part of the art of coaching at the NHL level. It's the, it's the, it's the instinctive periodization concept. It's you got to make do what you have, but you, the workout never doesn't happen.
0: Absolutely. So is your goal for the post-game workout to stack those stressors of the workout in the game so they have a longer break period, or is it more of a timing thing? What is your ultimate goal with that post-game workout?
1: It's optimization of our schedule. Mm-hmm. It's when is our next game that we're gonna have? You know, do we have a day off where there's nothing to do uh, physically demanding? For example, a day off means that no one's coming in to the facility. Or do we have a practice day the next day? Or do we have a game the next night? We won't train that when we, we won't train in those situations where we have back to back. Um, but are we training on the second night of a back-to-back, you know, like you have to take that into consideration. Um, and then you got to look at minutes played. You got to look at the, the individual athlete. Is this a guy who plays eight to nine minutes a night, or is this one of your horses who goes 24, 28 minutes a night? So you have to take that all into consideration. Um, and, and it's been going good.
0: As a physical therapist, I'm always interested in how strength coaches interact with the sports medicine staff, especially at the professional level. What has your experience been working not only with PTs, but with doctors, surgeons, athletic trainers, as you're in your time in the NHL?
1: Oh, uh, really good. Really good with, with the team I'm currently working with. Our head athletic trainer has been around a long time. Very smart. He's a unbelievable, unbelievable manager in terms of, okay, this athlete needs this and that we have two assistant athletic trainers. Uh, one of them's a massage therapist. We have a PT who comes in um, through um, TCO, I believe, actually, he comes in um, and works with guys and in my role in the in the injured athlete is okay. For example, this guy has a high ankle sprain. Mm -hmm. Well, I look at it like, okay, his other leg is fine. His torso is fine. His arms are fine. There's a lot he can do right now. And we, we get going on that right away. And I, I really believe that that cross transfer, cross transfer effect happens. So we're going to train that other leg, the healthy leg, as much as we can so that when that injured leg can be rehabbed, it can come back a little quicker. Because um, I don't think I'd do it this intently if I didn't believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the process with injured players. Um, and ideally, we, we don't want injured players. But when they do happen, we, we attack it um, collaboratively. Uh, we have a plan set up. We have a schedule set up, and um, sometimes it's not fun to be with me when you're injured.
0: But um, that's how it goes sometimes, right? So, absolutely. I had a experience like that in high school. I broke my foot in football, and I don't remember my exact workout routine, but it wasn't very much, and it might have been, you know, bench press once a week, something like that but I just shut down completely because I had a boot on my foot and I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. And now mm-hmm. that I look at it from a, a a therapy lens and a strength and conditioning lens, and I wasted so much, that's eight weeks. I could have been dedicated to to serious training because I didn't have the wear and tear of the football season. And I kind of wasted it just waiting for my leg to heal. And I think we know so much more now about the benefits of training the other side uh, keeping your your heart rate up, keeping your body moving, keeping you as part of the team, kind of that mental aspect as well. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you, yeah. courage, and you kind of have to at, at the level you're at because you can't take eight weeks off and just rest on the couch and wait to come back. You got to stay current. You got to stay up to date. Otherwise, well, yeah,
1: I think at our level, yeah. But I don't get, though, like you still see some poor kids who like, you know, they can do upper body, upper body only. And it's like, okay, I can only, do, I can only do upper body. It's like, no, you can train your other leg.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and and I think that's behind the times a little bit. And I think unfortunately it trickles down to our youth population, whether it's high school and maybe even college. Um, but we have a great, um, orthopedic staff and, and sports medicine staff here that trust each other and, they know that this athlete isn't going to get hurt um, while they're completing
0: that part of it. One of the most frustrating things for me uh, in therapy is when uh, an athlete or even any person they come in with a boot and they've been in the boot for six to eight weeks and they were told to wait to go to therapy and we miss this huge chunk of window to work on things and to prepare them for getting out of the boot. So now we're not only at ground zero, we are negative because we have wasted time. There's been so much muscle atrophy. We've lost our conditioning. We've lost some of our strength. Um, and I wish I would change in the orthopedic world because that education piece needs to be there just because you are hurt doesn't mean training stops. And in fact, training should increase because you don't have the demands of the sport at the time. You should be training more as an athlete, even if you have a, a cast on your wrist or boot on your ankle. Um, so I, I, I feel you in yeah. those regards. I think that education piece needs to be better. Well, it's
1: like, it used to be that, okay, well, he's rehabbed, he's ready to go. It's like, well, no, he's not. It's, you know, it, when what you were talking about, that like you just shut down, say the foot's better, he's ready to go. Well, no, there's a reconditioning component that has to happen. So we just kind of keep the, the conditioning going from when an injury happens. I mean, yeah, of course, there are some injuries when, you know, that he can't do anything but if it's a single limb injury or, or somehow there's a lot we can do and a lot we can do and and help that athlete get better sometimes that guy can get better that that, that, that girl can get better um, because they're going to be training harder than, than they were before they got hurt and a lot of different ways to look at it
0: working in the NHL, you deal with, or not deal with, that's a bad way to put it, you, you work with professional athletes all the time. How has that experience been like for you? Is that something you kind of anticipated, this is how it's going to go? Or is it something that was completely different than you ever imagined?
1: No, it's been, it's been seamless. It's been awesome. It's been, I get to work with great people. These guys are great. They're, they there's no I guess I don't know prima donnas or there's no there's no one who thinks they're above and beyond the team um it, it it's it's the team concept versus me concept, and i don't know I don't really know i i I mean yeah, I know who our big money guys are um on every team I've worked with, but y- you kind of see that on the ice too you know you're higher paid guys, you're better players and mm-hmm you know you just yeah i don't know it's i've never had an issue with that it's just you know we're gonna train and like i don't care how much you make you know i would like you to do this or like we need to do this more um i've never really had that
0: i've never been afraid to have those conversations with a guy that's awesome to hear being part of a team How do you separate the success or lack of success on the ice versus the gains you or, or the progress that you're making in the weight room? How do you divide those two?
1: That's a great question because even like working with collegiate athletes, your best guys in the weight room aren't necessarily your best players on the ice. Um, Right, and I, I, I've, I've come across that a few times when I've seen Hall of Fame caliber players who weren't the best guys in the weight room in terms of their work ethic or you always wanted something more out of them. Um, but a lot of times it's like, okay, well, you're not as good as a guy like that. So maybe you should embrace the strength and conditioning aspect of it. And I love the guys. I love the guys who are my my guys that are bought in 100% all the time. They do everything you ask them to do. And they're 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 bought in because they know they have to do it to stay in the NHL mm-hmm. and to see those guys become average to above average players. That's when I think strength and condition is was really a part of it. Right. Um, but I also like. I also enjoy it when a, a guy is playing longer because he's he's gotten he's bought into it more. He's he's playing well into his 30s, and he 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 has his routines, and he's he's does his training. So there's different ways to look at it. Um, but just for me, it's you have to find a way to get everyone to kind of buy into uh, the team concept, even in the weight room, and it doesn't matter who you are. Um, where you came from, you know, you're, you're, you're part of our team and this is what we're going to do.
0: One of the biggest struggles for me playing in high school sports is my individual goal is to be all conference in every sport. And my, uh, team goal is to win state. And that, that, that ends up in a lot of failure because you're not always gonna be all conference and your team's not gonna win state every year. How do you set goals or missions or, or kind of wins losses? outside of the record of the team that you're working with?
1: Yeah, you know, I think our coach does an unbelievable job of promoting team um, versus me, and he preaches it every day. And it's got to be hard for a professional athlete. You know, you know what, how many points player X from this team has and how much money he's making. Mm Mm-hmm it's gotta be hard to sell. The only points we're worried about is the two points for the win at the end of the night. And I get that. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say I get that, but it's different for the individual athlete who might be on the last year of his contract or he's, you know, fighting pressures from, um, not living up to his contract, so right. you know that that's hard, but at the end of the day the, even at the professional level, it's all about the team doing better and every where I've been when the team does better, it ends up working out for the individuals on the team as well, yep. in terms of maybe they're not gonna make x amount of dollars here, but they can get more money somewhere else. Maybe they want to stay here, and, and you know, I, I don't know. It's opportunities
0: do happen when the team has success. It's funny in sports; we always promote the, you know, the the leading goal scorer, the highest scoring player, the person with the most touchdowns. But only one person on the team can be that person. Like you can't have ten people yeah. being the leading goal. I mean, obviously they tie, but you know what I mean. Um, but I think if you help define what people's roles are. And if they are the best in the in the league at their role, that's going to lead to that team success that you alluded to. And it is yeah. funny, the teams that end up having success, it usually work like you said, it works out for the individuals uh, in a way they expected or didn't expect it. And I think that is a, a huge component uh, for us coaches, is when you contribute to a team and you do what's best for the team, it's going to end up working out for you and your career. Um, so being a little more selfless when you are part of a team in coaching, it's going to pay dividends down the road. Yeah. I mean, I think in all of
1: pro sports, when you have a salary cap in play, you win a championship, you know, those players are going to be in high demand and to help another team win a championship. And it, it does help everyone out to win as a team. So.
0: Going yeah. back to uh, training philosophy, one of the most kind of heated debates is uh, the pre-game uh, routine or warm-up: whether to do stretching or not stretching, whether to foam roll or not foam roll, whether to get the heart up or not. Things like that. How do you uh, perform your your warm-up for a game with your NHL players?
1: Yeah, well, typically. With our NHL guys, I'll leave them alone before the game, Mm -hmm. but I do have about eight to 10 players who we do a a kind of group warm-up with one hour before the game starts. And not to say they don't do anything prior to that or even after that, but we do have that group of players who do um, a dynamic warm-up. And we also do an agility ladder warm up. Um, I don't care. I like it. It's, we're not doing it. To, <laughs> we're gonna say, we're not like, doing glad it. You
0: brought it up. That's part we're of. We're the- not doing it to. We're yeah. not
1: doing it to um, get, get faster. faster. Right.
0: Right. Right. We're
1: doing it for a little bit of quick feet coordination work. Um, it's low level plyometrics. Um, I I'm not against agility ladders. We we use it in the off season for about five minutes twice a week, but we do it. As part of our pregame routine, a lot of it is superstition now. Um, a lot of it is keeping the heart rate going, doing something a little faster with neuromuscular coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone on our team foam rolls. We have foam rollers everywhere. Um, so everyone will start off their routine, whether, that's, whether they get to the arena, get changed, foam roll right away or they get changed, go to their meeting, then they foam roll. Um, but everyone will lay on the foam roller for a couple minutes. Some guys will work with our massage therapist. Some guys will get stretched out on the tables. Um, but everyone has a dynamic routine that they do. Um, I get to, you know, eight or eight, eight, 10 guys, I get to work with every night, but there are guys who do their own individual routine. Um, again, I, I'm kind of hands off on game nights, um, because I just feel that they get enough of me on practice days and after games. That that's their time. Um, but with those eight to ten guys, we do have a structured warm up that we do every
0: game. What does a warm up for a practice day look like then?
1: Practice day could be a dynamic warm up. We'll change it up. We'll go dynamic warm up some days. We would we could do it static stretching circuit some days we could do um a core workout we we mix it up on practice days we to kind of renew, uh, remove the monotony of it um but you know we are there quite a bit um there, practice days could be a time when someone's getting worked on by our massage therapist or they could be getting stretched out too um but i i try to mix it up whenever we can on
0: practice days Absolutely. Another struggle for now that we're talking about core training, agility ladders, foam rolling, another issue for typically younger coaches and maybe older coaches as well is managing how much time they spend learning versus how much time they spend implementing the things that they learned. How have you been able to balance those two things throughout your career? You know what?
1: That's a good question. Because yeah, I mean, I love learning. I love learning things. But I have to learn something that I feel is going to be beneficial into my environment. Mm-hmm. And some things do stick. Some things are still being done that I was doing in the early 2000s. Doesn't mean I'm a dinosaur. It doesn't mean that I, I don't learn or, or don't change my mind. Some things still work. And that's the basic sometimes. And, but yeah, there's, there's new things we we've come across and we've implemented. And like I said, logistically, it has to work in our environment. You know, like I said, you have 50 minutes after a game in a small little room to get a team workout in, maybe it's not the right time to be implementing something you learned last week um, that you really haven't, utilize as much, you know, you, you, you gotta have your belief system. Um, you always gotta be learning, but I, I like that quote, the Bruce Lee quote of, um, absorb, you know, don't absorb what's useless. I, I forget it. I get, I think I'm paraphrasing there, but you know, you have to filter, you have to be a good filter. And then you have to
0: trust your judgment and your belief system. I think that filter piece, the the best coaches have the best filters. There's so much information out there. Some of it yeah. is relevant and some of it is useless or not pertinent to the to people that you're working with and figuring that out as quickly and safely uh, as possible differentiates mm-hmm. the, the coaches that do well and the ones that, that might struggle. Um, last question before we go, here, kind of a hot topic question. Do you think the best hockey players are the fastest? or in the best condition? Hmm.
1: No, I don't. But I would like them to be (laughs) Um, because I really think if you. If you had the the talent combined with the the strength in the condition, the best you can possibly be, Mm -hmm. I think that the sky's the limit um I do I I really I really believe that because I, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that mm-hmm. and I wouldn't be as as passionate as an animal trying to, to trying to get everyone to embrace it um because I you know like I I can think of so many players I've worked with over the years that were like, oh my God, if you could have just spent a little bit more time in the weight room, not only in the season, but in the off season, if you could have came in a little bit better shape or if you improve this quality over that, but then, then they're really good players without it. So it's like, it's tough to, it's tough to tell the hall of famer that like, okay, you you should do this more, and it's like, well, why do you need to do that more? Because I, you know, I already won X amount of Stanley Cups and All Star Games and all that stuff. But you know, I just think this. I don't know. I I I absolutely believe that because you can just. I love seeing young players get stronger and then get, and getting faster, and seeing them play better, and then believing in it and and trusting it and um because because these guys don't want to lose their their spot in the nhl you know and i don't know that that's what i really get fired up by is, is just trying to get um everyone better i don't care you know who it is we we can always get better um i don't know
0: if that makes sense but it does to me that's helping people yeah that's the beauty of sports performance is everyone can get better, even if you're the best, even if you're the worst. There's always room for improvement, whether we're talking strength, mobility, balance, coordination. There's so many different avenues to human performance that we can work on. The, the mental mm-hmm. piece, we didn't even get a touch on that today. But it's it's guys like you that keep our profession going forward. It's guys like you that are great examples for coaches out there. Uh, thank you, Sean, for taking time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate you. Uh, being a guest and uh, go wild.
1: Hey, thanks, Tom. I really appreciate this. I really enjoyed this. And, um, maybe when all this um, COVID restrictions pass, you can come on by sometime. I would love that. Appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Yep. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it, man.